Welcome to your podcast, Leadership is Tricky, where we'll tackle various topics, challenges, and experiences as it relates to your investment in leadership. So, let's design success together. Now your hosts. Hey everyone, it's Eric from Leadership is Tricky. I'm here with Steve. What's going on, Steve? Nothing much, man. How are you doing? I'm good. Another episode, and I have one of uh, the most favorite people um, that I have in my life and in the world here with us on the podcast, um, Michelle Bolos. How are you, Michelle? Hey, guys. Hey. I'm doing great. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time to be on the podcast. I know it's been some uh, coordination over the last couple months to, to nail down the time because I know you're busy, but um, you know, thanks for uh, taking these precious moments out of your life to be here with us and talk about leadership, talk about your, your leadership journey and, and your business. And um, yeah, so why don't you just tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, thank you both for having me. It's a pleasure. Um, Michelle Bolos, I'm the CEO of NT Concepts, a company that I started back in 1998. And it started off as a, a small development uh, company. And then it's, uh, you know, morphed over the years. It's changed uh, a lot. And we shifted from the private industry to the federal government and have been federal government ever since. And um, you know, I'm a mom. I'm a, a former soccer player. Uh, I still like to bike and swim, but my running days are, are behind me. And um, that's a little bit about myself. Um, right now, I have two kids, uh, a 10 year old and a 12 year old. So my life is pretty much surrounded uh, around their activities. I bet you it's a busy time too. <laughs> That's like the age that yeah. they want to join everything and anything. <laughs> uh, nice things. My running days are behind me too. <laughs> I wish Somebody I could... told me it gets a lot easier when they can drive because I do feel like a shuttle bus. Well, um, you are right on the days. edge of that, right? Yeah, so, yes. So I bet it's hard to balance it all, right? You know, you're working, your career, mm. your family. Um, you know, they're at an important age too, so they kind of need a lot of your attention and time. Yeah, and so um, that's a really good point because they, some people think that um, that parents can do it all and they really can't. And so you have to take that step back and say, look, this does not last very long, this whole age time frame, and soon they're not going to want you around. I, I hear when they're teenagers and they're independent, they are gone, you know, and, and they come back at night whenever you want. So it's really kind of a 13-year gap. And so I have always been very conscious about um, one of us always being there in the mornings. We're there together at dinner. And I'm real picky about my events that I go to because um, time is precious. And next thing you know, you're going to pick up your head and they're gone. So, so I, I, I do. I, I resonate with your comment about, you know, um, the work life balance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Steve and I, we have uh, three year olds and I have a five year old and. <laughs> Um, you know, he's another a soon to be uh, father of two. Yeah. Be joining, oh, joining the world with all of you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it, it's funny you say that because, you know, this this time is so short and we really got to go all in and do the sacrifices now because, I mean, we will look in hindsight and remember these days and they were the good old days and how crazy it was. So, yeah. 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 Well, now I know Eric has two girls. How about you, Steve? So I've got one and we don't know what's on the way, but we're due in June. So we might do the whole surprise again. So we're really looking forward to that. Yeah, he has no idea what's about to hit him. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you go. um, You definitely are a man on man when there's two in your life. 
yeah. I, I hear it's much harder when you're a zone defense um, when there's more than two. But. Absolutely. <laughs> Next, you know, you need a bigger house and you need the town and country. So. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, right. So, so Michelle, you talked about starting your company in 1998. Um, so, what was your motivation to start your company? Why, why, why NT Concepts? So, there's, you know, there's a a story that I always um, refer to that the first company that I worked for um, and, he, and to set the stage, you have to understand that this was back in um, don't remember when Clarence Thomas was, uh, you know, up on uh, the Hill and Anita Hill. And there was this big controversy about sexual harassment. And so this is the late eighties, early nineties, when I got out of school and went to my first job and I worked at a company that was an engineering firm. And in my field, um, you know, women weren't represented very much. I was one of very few women in my, my college um, class, but it just never bothered me. And so when I went into this environment, I saw kind of firsthand, um, the differences in the, in the careers of women and men. And there was this uh, situation that happened. I, I was a computer engineer and we were setting up computers all within the engineering department. And one of the engineers was having an issue and asked me to come up to um, fix his computer. And when I went up there, I noticed that um, he had a calendar that one of the vendors had sent to him and all the engineers in the department had this calendar. And now every single engineer was a man except for one. Um, her name was Janice. And I thought to myself, well, gosh, I wonder what Janice would feel like getting this calendar. Because as I looked at the calendar, the calendar was a, of a topless woman and a tool covering her bottom area. And so of course, you know, anybody who knows me, I'm gonna, when I don't see something I like, I said something. So I said to the engineer, do I really have to look at that while I'm fixing your computer? And he said, well, what's wrong with that? And I said, well, put yourself Janice's shoes. How, you know, have some empathy for the other engineer. I mean, how, what would she think? And next thing you know, about 10 engineers were squeezed into a cubicle and we were all having a big discussion. And long story short, they, the calendar remained and I fixed his computer and I went downstairs. The next day I was called into the VP of HR and I'm 22 years old, brand new employee. And I'm thinking, uh Oh, what did I do? And he says to me, Hey, look, I wanted to let you know, I, I heard about your, um, your incident incident yesterday. And I just wanted to let you know that a new policy will be going out next week. All inappropriate things like that will come down. And and then he looked at me, he goes, I just wanted to thank you for saying something. And I thought, wow, that was the response that I wanted. And so when I, it wasn't soon after that, I, I stayed in that company for four years. And I just thought to myself, culturally, I don't want to work for a company that won't do that. And so there's some arrogance when you go out on your own, you think that you can do it better. And there was certainly that for me. And so when I left that company, I had a choice to go to a law firm that was requiring me to wear a skirt every day or start my own company. And guess what I chose? <laughs> so that's really the catalyst to going out on my own along that we'll get into later on. But I know that was a long answer to a short question, but that's really what happened. No, so I got a question for you. Would you wear your first day in your new company? My pantsuit, of course. <laughs> no, my, Shoulder pads and all. Yeah. 
<laughs> that was the big, you know, that was the big thing back then. Pantsuits were out for women and it was freedom. I mean, as silly as that mm. sounds, skirts are uncomfortable. And I did I just didn't fit in that environment. But that's funny you say that. Technically, in my first day of my job, um, I wore sweatpants because I was in my house. But when I actually went to a customer, I could wear uh, my my pantsuit. Did it have the big <laughs> butterfly collar? Because you said it was like the you know eighties, <laughs> nineties era. <laughs> they weren't bad back then. <laughs> oh, big hair hairspray. Got it. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, this was the nineties. The hair started getting a little flatter back then. But yes. Um, so that that's honestly what what made me say I can do better culturally in, in a in a company. And I went out on my own for five years until I started NT Concepts. Um, so I was out there during the whole dot com explosion, and I was a, a developer and getting way too much work um, before I fi- finally hired my first employee. So how many employees did you have after your first year? So the first year, I believe I had five employees after the first year. Um, we either worked at home or we worked in my basement in my um, in my house. Interesting. So what was that set up like? <laughs> I had, um, let's see, one, two, three. I had four desks in a big open room and then a bathroom down there in the be- a bedroom. No, nobody lived it there at that time. And people would come in and out uh, whenever they wanted through the um, basement door Sit down there because I had a, a lovely experience with, um, with one of my employees when the office was upstairs. I happened to be in California working um, at Burbank studios and, um, in uh for warner brothers and i was supposed to be there all week and instead of coming home on friday i decided to take the red eye and when i got home i jumped in the shower and then i i came out and got dressed but i wasn't fully dressed when i heard the telephone and the office ring so i went running out there to get the phone call and one of my employees was sitting at my desk (laughs) and so i did the old uh uh oh, I'm so sorry. And um, I turned around and ran back into my room. And I thought, the the office is moving to the basement. And so awesome that was... Uh, story. <laughs> hey, so did you get called into your HR? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wasn't exactly the dress code I was supposed to have. Yeah, that there might day. be a new policy <laughs> after that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so you go into All your... It's like I'm on the on the beach. It's it's a bikini, you know. I had my underwear and bra on, but boy, was that was that was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, I bet she tells that story today. Of course, let me tell you, <laughs> me tell you about this lady. <laughs> now, now millions of people on your podcast have just heard that story. <laughs> Absolutely. So, see, so that's your first year. You have five people. So, how many people do you have today? We are just shy of a thousand people. That's incredible. Look at that. Wow. Uh, congratulations on that. Thank you. That is not, uh, that's not done with one person. That's done by um, oh, just hiring people who are smarter than you and surrounding yourself with um, really good folks. And, and boy, it, it, it does grow when you have people who just know more in, in certain aisles than you do. That's interesting because I've watched your evolution from, you know, a small company to where you're at now. I think we had that conversation at one point because uh, <laughs> we, we can get into that when we talk some of your leadership challenges. So yeah. so, so when you have five people and you're starting out, you know, what are some of the leadership challenges that you have at that point? 
you know, within your first, uh, you know, first to five years or so. Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, you you have a friends and family type of environment. Um, and and literally there were people who I used to work with who came to work with me, people who I played soccer with would come to work with me. Um, and it's it the leadership challenge is sometimes, you know, in a family and friends type of environment, disciplinary things are really quite hard to um, enforce. Um, but it has to happen. But it, it was a challenge in the beginning. You know, I had one of our employees who was also getting his master's and he started slacking off at work. And this is a, you know, somebody I played soccer with. And now I have to, you know, you, you got different hats and there's a line, there's a friend line and there's an employer line. And sometimes that was a, a bit challenging um, to handle. So do you think it was, um, if you held people accountable, you thought that it might affect your relationship? Is it, is it? Yes. And it did. I mean, I had a couple situations where, um, I, I probably gave too many chances because they were friends and you have to be really careful not to do that. That line, there is a, a, a business line and a personal line. And you have to be really careful when you hire the friends and family in the beginning that you are very clear on not, um, you know, which hat are you wearing and not to give favors because you know them on the personal level. And that that's and, and I, I think if you ask most business owners, they have that same challenge. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the small businesses out there are probably struggling, you know, struggling with that as well. Yeah. I mean, so the thing I think about right now, you know, upfront, you're starting your company, you're small, you're trying to establish that culture that what are we here for? Um, you know, that what, what part of the market that we're going to tackle and you're trying to get specific fit for the company. Um, and you know, you do target those friends and family to be a part of that. How did you, how did you talk to those folks and kind of sell them on the vision or the concept. I mean, obviously, if they're close to you and you and you have that established trust already, but how did you kind of give them the the the, the why, the so what, why come and work with you and for you? So this is where that first year or two, it wasn't that hard to convince, and I'll tell you why. Um, this was back in um, roughly 1990, let's see, 94. So it was probably, it was 98 when I started it. But around that 96 time frame, if you remember, there was the internet bubble. And there was just all sorts of work. And back then, it was a build it and they will come sort of mentality. So um, everyone wanted the internet. They all wanted websites and there just were not enough developers to do it. And so you were taking people who were maybe doing things in access database and you were training them how to be a developer. So it's really easy to convince somebody to come over because they're going to new, you know, they're going to learn a new technology. We're going to teach them because there was a huge shortage of developers back then. Sure. And then the money part, um, I convinced 
um, somebody who I was working with, who was a junior developer to come work for me. He was employee number one and I could offer him more money because they were paying a lot more on a dollar amount. And of course we had no expenses at that time or very little expenses. And so I could offer more money in this environment where there's a supply in with developers. And so in the beginning it was tough. I mean, it was easy. Now, where it became tough is when that bubble burst and the mm. internet bubble burst. And it, a lot of my friends' companies were all folding. And I had luckily been a big saver and I had enough money to um, save up. And now, now, by this point, we had moved out of the basement. We were in a, our first office. Um, but, you know, you have a lease on an office and you have now, I was at, eight employees maybe eight employees when it started to burst and i had a choice you know you start laying people off or you retrain and and um and figure it out and that's what i chose to do i did not have to lay anybody off because i had the a savings um that i could continue and a year later it was oh boy it was like crickets for about a year and then a year later, it started taking off again, and I felt really good that I still had this staff with me. So I know that was a really long answer. No, to a short I, I think for me, it sounded like you had the foundation there, and people were all bought in, even when the tough time came. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, they 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 stuck it out with you, believed in they you did. at that moment, and let's said let's let's reskill, let's look at a, maybe a new target market or a new opportunity that's out there. And take advantage of it because others at the time were, were looking inward probably. So I think to... that the, the key piece that I heard, though, was the reinvestment back in the people, right? And you were, people were scared that they might have lost their job. They saw that reinvestment you know, and that this leader that believed in them and believed so much in what she was doing that she was willing to take that risk because it's a huge risk. It was. And, and look, there are two pivots that happen. The first pivot was... Back in the days of the dot-com explosion, most of this work was done in what's called classic ASP. And it was a, a language that Microsoft had out. Microsoft was reinventing that wheel and came out with this, you know, back then, new product called .NET. Nobody was training on it because everybody was losing their job. We decided to um, pivot and train all of our developers to go onto this new platform. The second thing that pivot was I looked at the commercial market that was exploding in front of my face and I knew I needed to get into the federal market. And so we started, um, I started getting my certificate for my 8A and then had to go after and get work. So there were two pivots and I'm, very blessed. I feel very, very fortunate that they stuck with me. They retrained because the first, about a year later, we won our first .NET program and then started getting work in the federal government. And from there, we grew very, very quickly. So, did you have something? No. Oh. no. Yeah, so, so, you know, that's your first, you know, kind of, let's say, year minus two, right? So, you started around 96, 97. Um, you saw the, 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 the conversion of the market. You, you kind of made it through that, you know, first two years um, with your team and you came out on the other side. I wouldn't say unscathed, but, you know, with some war wounds and, and scar tissue. Um, 
so so and, and you had those leadership challenges there where um you reinvested and now let's let's fast forward to modern day leadership mm-hmm. challenges so from eight employees to you know just shy of a thousand now what are the things that keep you up at night when it comes to the leadership challenges you you see yourself in today and what you foresee happening in the next couple years or so okay so there there are plateaus that you hit and at each plateau there is a a leadership challenge so when we hit i would say 50 or so you're you know in the beginning you're wearing a lot of hats as a business owner And then you have to learn to take the hat off and hand it over. When you take that hat off and hand it over, you have to, you have have to trust the person that they're going to get it done. So I have this, um, uh, management, um, delegation, uh, authority. They, I, I call it the four D's where you, you decide, you delegate, you disappear, and then you get debriefed. But what I learned is that you have to be doing that to, a leader that you trust. And over time, you start to lose control. Um, and I, I don't want to say that I'm not, uh, I've never been a micromanager, but in order to grow, you have to give up that control. And so what I found was um, I had a couple challenges. I had a couple big challenges where people were um, not running the company culturally the way that I wanted. And that is culture member was very important to me. I had a situation where I had a, a person leading the organization at this point was incredibly liked by everybody, but I had a cultural problem and I had to get rid of him. But nobody in the company knew what the reason was because I can't share that sort of information. And everyone was scratching their heads. Well, that is a hump that I had to get over. Um, but because I gave the reins over to this person and then they ended up um, destroying my trust. The next kind of plateau is when you get to, we were about maybe 160 people. You start to realize that maybe the people who got you to 50 people are not the people who are going to get you to 100. And the people who got you to 100 are not necessarily the, the, the staff or the leaders who are going to get you to that next level. And so you may have people who have worked with you for a very long time that you've maybe outgrown. And that's a really hard, um, hard pivot point because you don't necessarily want to let them go. But the title that you maybe they grew up with might not be the title that they keep when you're a 300 person company or a 400 person company. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, um, it's interesting that you bring that part up because I think you and I, I think that's kind of when we started really, um, becoming tighter. Cause I remember, I remember that point where you were experienced with that leadership challenge and you asked me, I think you kind of made that comment was like, Hey, look, you know, now I've got some big contracts, the organization's Mm -hmm. about to blow up. Um, and the company is about to grow and I'm having a struggle because you were having more of a, a a personal dilemma because these people have been so loyal. They've been around you um, and they've helped you get to where you were at. But you were unsure if they were going to help you get to kind of where you thought you needed to go as a company. And I remember giving you a very harsh advice. And I told you, Michelle, you might have to make the hard decision because if they aren't performing at 
the hundred employee level and you're about to become a 300 to 400, you know, then they're not going to be able to help you get there. So you might have to make those hard decisions. So, I, and I knew you were faced with that challenge early on, but um, I, I think that you went out and leveraged a lot of people that you trusted to help you work through that challenge. Um, and I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know that's just based on the information that I have. You're exactly right. And I, and I took your advice and the other um, leaders that I trusted advice. And it's not a hard, it's not an easy thing to do, but that's exactly what ended up happening. We shifted some people in the company to different positions. And I think that was a forcing function at some point, they eventually left. And then some people, I just had to have, sit down and have the hard discussion that we've outgrown each other. And it's hard to do, but that's the only way that you um, get to that next level is to bring in the people who have kind of done that before. And look, I've never run a thousand person company. So at some point, um, I, you know, I, I was, I was still wearing the CEO hat and still wearing the president's hat. And I knew I needed to give, um, one of those hats away to somebody who can grow into that role. Yeah. So I, I'm going to be the devil's advocate for a second. So we talked earlier when you were small and you had that inflection point, you know, the bubble was bursting and we wanted to reskill the workforce. So I'm hearing that those people, you didn't necessarily want to reskill or reinvest in to help you grow to that next level. They just were, you just outgrew them. Can you describe what that means just for some of the listeners that don't understand that when you're kind of growing a company and sure. we talked earlier about, you know, you want to hold on to people, at least the good people. I mean, performance aside, was there an opportunity to at least give them new roles to, to get you to that next level? Yeah. And so here's a learning lesson for me. Um, when you're a small company, you throw titles out. Um, I made a big mistake of doing that. So if you have maybe 50 people in your company and you've given a title to somebody of vice president of, you know, ABC, now you're going, you're 150 people. That person really isn't doing vice president sort of work. And so when I say demote, the title gets taken away. And I don't think a lot of people like that. Um, but when you're a VP of a company that's about to go to 300 or 400 or 500 people, it's a very different skill set. It's not something that you can teach. Um, and the people who had that VP title that I, I gave that to them, um, they're really program managers. And so they were still doing program manage work. They just were not really in a position to have the title that they had. So some of the people we would that maybe were a director, we kind of said, you're really just a program manager and you're down and running this very important program, but we're going to take away some of the other programs and give it to a, a, an umbrella, a higher up person who's going to manage lots of different programs. Do, does that make sense? I think it does. I think... Um that's the part that I was missing and maybe some others out there could be missing when they just heard the story because, I mean, you had new challenges at the organization that you didn't have when you were, you know, the eight to 10 people versus the hundred versus now 500. So I think, yes, we always want to reinvest in the people because the people always should come first. That's, I think, our philosophy. But I mean, you, you needed to bring on new talent, I think is what it came down to, to continue yes. to grow and become the company that 
you had set up the strategy to become. So I applaud you for having the hard conversation because I don't know if I, <laughs> if I even would even know how to do that. So, well, so one of the other mistakes that I made in, and I, I've never really been a hierarchical person. I hate hierarchical, um, org charts. And so we preach. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love that philosophy. Yeah. So when we started thinking, okay, this whole VP director program manager, it, 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 it becomes this, you know, elitist sort of thing. And that's just culturally not what I wanted. So we broke down those silos and said, look, an easier shift was just to create um, an infrastructure where your C-level is a support system. They're your foundation. They're there to do whatever needs to do to get the job done. And then we're supporting all of the people who are doing customer work. And when we started thinking that way, it became less of a big deal on titles. So we started getting away from that. And again, in, you know, when you're growing up in a company, you make some mistakes and those were some of the, the things that we did that wrong. Well, mistakes are, are, are important, right? Of course, you um, need to celebrate the mistakes. Yeah, they're yeah. actually gifts. You know, we talk about it all the time about having that feedback mechanism. And when you fail and you do a retrospective, I mean, you're giving yourself a gift. It should be a party. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Where were you guys about seven years ago, huh? Well, uh, <laughs> we're here I need now. that advice. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so, so, so let me ask you this. So, you know, we've talked a lot about about the technical aspect and the, you know, in the of building a business, right? That that technical leadership that you needed, that expertise that you had as a software developer, um, software engineer, computer scientist. You bring all these technical people here. You reinvested them. You guys are taking advantage of the, you know, the dot com era. So, what do you feel? are those adaptive challenges that you had, um, you know, going along a lot of the squishy stuff. And I know we talked a little bit about um, where you're at as the more and more employees are coming as on. organization matures, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what are those things that, you know, for you were uh, maybe, maybe one or two examples of where you thought, you know, this thing might be too hard. I might want to walk away. Um, and then, with those failures, you know, how, what did you learn from those failures along the way? And who was there to help you get out of that? Well, so one of the, one of the most important things that I felt like I, I needed was advice and advice comes in a lot of different ways. Um, some, um, C level, uh, people, whether it's a CEO or president will go to a, uh, a peer group and get advice. I did not go the peer route. I went the board of advisors route and getting a board of advisors together was hard. You know, I, I had to find somebody who knew a lot of people in the industry. Um, but once I had that board of, uh, advisors, I went to them on a quarterly basis, we would meet, but this was a group of people been there, done that had different skill sets. Um, some were former some had bought and sold companies, some were financial people, some were BD people. And, um, and I went to them a lot to get advice. The day-to-day advice I would get from people like you. Um, when I had a certain situation, uh, or whether it was a leadership problem or 
an employee problem. I would get them from my peers. But my big strategic business problems, I would go to my board of advisors. That board of advisors grew up with me. And just like employees, you outgrow your board of advisors. And so some would term off and some I would bring on others. And I eventually converted that board of advisors to a board of director. And now I, um, about two years ago, I made the decision to hand off the operations to somebody completely different. And he had a, he has a much different way of thinking, but it was 100% in line with the culture of the organization. And there was that trust factor. He had been working with me for a while and the, the trust factor was there. And so when I handed that baton over, I not only handed it over, I moved out of my office. I gave him my office for optics. So everybody knew who was running the show at that point. And so I kept the CEO hat while he took over the president COO hat. And I needed to keep that separation. So I was handling everything on the outside of the company. He's handling everything on the inside of the company. And look, that's hard to do when you've grown up for 20 years in, in a company. Um, but boy, it's much easier when you have somebody to hand that baton to that you trust. And finding that person was not easy, but I, I found that person. And, and feel very blessed about that. And that concludes part one of our uh, leadership journey discussion with Michelle Bolos. Part two will be posted next week. Stay tuned.